It is Good Friday. Oh, I know maybe for some of you that maybe aren't followers of Jesus, the idea of good and maybe the crucifixion of Jesus is sometimes hard to comprehend in our minds because how could that be good? But one of the things that all of us know as followers of Jesus is, is that, gosh, in the midst of hurt and heartache and pain and death, it's on this day that we go back and we celebrate that Jesus entered into that and he defeated sin and he defeated death. He defeated Satan. He defeated pain by entering into them and what came from it in a powerful way was victory. And so we do, we stand here today in awe of the work of King Jesus because that truly was an act of grace, of love, of goodness and kindness to us that's sometimes hard to wrap our minds around. But what I wanna do tonight is, is I just wanna take us back a little bit through the story. Last Sunday was Palm Sunday. Gosh, could, like, just if you could imagine just being there that day as Jesus Christ gets brought in, and as he gets brought in, right, people are putting their cloaks on the ground, they're putting palm branches on the ground, they're screaming Hosanna all across the city. In some ways, I wonder like what it must have been like for the apostles as they're walking along going, oh, this is it. We finally arrived. And in some ways, we know this. They have no clue what this week is going to entail. Jesus ministers kind of in and through Jerusalem a little while in the midst of all of it. A plot is hatched to hand Jesus over to the religious leaders of the time. Jesus is with his guys. We kind of see him quarantine off. He, uh, quarantine's a bad word over the last two years. <laughs> Let me say a different word. He, he cordons himself off with these men. We know in the midst of all of it, he institutes the Lord's Supper. He spends some of his most precious time in John 13, 14, 15, 16 with them. There's the Garden of Gethsemane where he pours out his heart to the Father. And then we know finally that plot comes to fruition. Jesus is handed over to the religious leaders. He goes before that group. He eventually goes before Pilate and Herod. And where I want to start this reading tonight is finally he's back in front of Pilate. And it says in the Bible that Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I don't find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they cried out together, away with this man, and release to us Barabbas a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate, you can just imagine, addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. And a third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified and their voices prevailed. 
So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who'd been thrown into prison for his insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments and the people stood by watching but the ruler scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourselves. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you're under the same sense of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home just beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. That last verse captured me. They stood at a distance and they soaked it in. 
From what we can tell probably from this text, it's not just that they were at a distance at this moment, but this idea is, is that his people in many ways stood at a distance throughout this whole event, this whole, this whole mockery that's happening where the king of all kings and the Lord of lords, God in flesh, was taken on by the hands of human beings and eventually led to his death, and they were just observing it. I was trying to think what they would have seen even off of this. They probably in the back of their head thought, okay, Pilate's going to release him. It's all going to be okay. They would have heard the calls for crucifixion. They would have had that moment when maybe Pilate stood up before them the last time, but then watching as he just succumbed to the crowds. They would have watched the wailing of those who loved Jesus and followed after him. They would have seen the mocking the mocking even as people are being executed. They would have seen a man that would have carried Jesus' cross. They would have seen soldiers gambling over his clothes. They would have seen an inscription above him just to mock him for who he claimed to be and who, who scripture even said he was. The other criminal that didn't mock him rightly saw him for who he was and I'm just imagining in this weird, sweet little moment as these two men breathed their last, how amazing was that for people just to watch? They would have been there for the darkness. They would have seen the grace. But I don't know if you caught it as we read it through, but something started to happen in the crowd the moment all of a sudden when this criminal now declares Jesus to be who he said he was and Jesus then dies, people begin in an interesting way and this is what they would have observed. They begin to see Jesus was probably who he claimed to be. And me, whenever I'm reading something, I get drawn into the story of it and here's this group of people, these, these people who would eventually become followers of King Jesus just watching this whole thing through the ebbs and the flows and the ups and the downs and the different facets of this man that they loved as he was killed. But then another thought came into my head. We kind of understand what, what they saw, but I started asking myself the question, what did Jesus see? What was it that he was looking down on? What was it that he was experiencing in this moment in which we know, again, from the scriptures, in which he was going to defeat death, he was going to defeat Satan, he was going to defeat sin? To my mind came a passage of scripture in Hebrews 12, and I'm just going to go there kind of briefly tonight. So if you got your Bibles, you can open there. If you don't, I'll have it up on the screen. But in Hebrews 12 too, it just says this. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, now what was he seeing? He saw the joy that was set before him. It's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? Like in the midst of all this, in the midst of his circumstances, when we've been working through the book of 1 Thessalonians, we've constantly talked about joy not being dependent upon our circumstances. But when Jesus Christ surveyed what was going on in the midst of everything, Hebrews tells us there was a joy in this moment. But what? The nice thing about what happens here when we look at it is that in some ways it wasn't a joy because of the evil that was taking place. That can't be it. But I think what seriously we find out from the book of, 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 of Hebrews 12 as we kind of wrestle this through and where I want to kind of show you tonight 
is there was a reason that Jesus Christ approached the cross with this joy that the writer of Hebrews is talking about because I think he saw God's intent that was taking place and he understood the pivotal moment in all of human history that was going on at this particular point. So what did he see? Well, in Hebrews 12, he says after this, it was said before him, he endured the cross. What's so cool about that is it doesn't just say that he got hung on the cross. He doesn't just say that the cross was there. The idea is, is that he endured it. The word is to literally be to the end. That in a very powerful way, those of us that know Jesus know that we deserve wrath from God in this powerful moment in which Jesus Christ was on the cross. The wrath that is owed us, Jesus absorbed the wrath of the Father, not just kind of, but the idea is, is to the very end. He absorbed all of it on our behalf. He would be the sacrifice in many ways that would, that would fully satisfy God's wrath that was poured out upon them. And in this moment, what Jesus knew and what he understand is that his father, when he was done, when Jesus said, it is finished, we learn this reading all throughout the New Testament, the father was fully satisfied. He endured, it says, to the end. He canceled the record of sin that's against us. We learn this from Colossians 2. And in that moment, this sin that has so absorbed humanity since Adam and Eve fell, that moment that initiated in Genesis 3.15, the need of a snake crusher, in that very moment in the entire story of God, there it was, and Jesus Christ endured the cross. But not just that. When you look down in 12.2, it also says despising the shame. In all of that event that I just read to you, here is the perfect God-man who goes then on behalf of all of humanity. He goes on behalf of all of humanity to bear the wrath of the Father, to, to take upon himself what none of us could ever pay. In this moment, he took on shame. Now again, what they would have seen is this man that was basically naked, hanging in front of all of them. They would have watched all of this that seems so shameful. But what he's talking about when it says he despised is this idea that I talked about a second ago. Jesus entered into the shame. And in the midst of the shame, nobody knew this at that particular time. Nobody would have perceived it. All the religious leaders, all the governmental leaders, all those that love Jesus thought in that moment that it was defeat. But actually what we're learning from the book of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ not only was winning, but when he breathed his last, he was victorious. The shame that he took upon himself in that moment, through shame, he defeated shame. He entered into it. In Colossians 2, we also find out that he shamed his enemies. He defeated sin. He defeated Satan in that moment. And what appeared to be a loss in the end, the reason that we worship King Jesus on this day, our King was victorious. But there's more. It says on there, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
We're not exactly sure what Peter was talking about, one of them, but he talks about Jesus in some way being taken in through this, this particular realm. My view is, is that he's taken in between this realm of the angelic realm. And the moment that he dies, I believe in a very powerful way, and this is the way Peter put it, the father took him through declaring that King Jesus had won. In this moment, this one was going to ascend to the rightful place in which he was. But before that, the king was ushered through in a declaration of the victory of him over sin and Satan. And that powerful moment then as he finally comes back from the grave, we know this, that he didn't just kind of come back. He was resurrected. And for that time then that he spent upon earth, he was declaring his victory over death and the, through, through the different things that he did, through the time that he was with the particular people that he was with. But then in Acts 1, we know then he ascended back. And right now, just think about this. What he saw in that moment was his not only grand victory, but he would eventually be enthroned as the king that he truly is. And he would be at that honored place of the father. That's what Jesus saw. And so it wasn't his circumstance, but in that moment, he had joy. He had the reunion of the father. But the other thing is, is, it says in there, he's the author and perfecter. He's the author, meaning he's the, the founder, the pioneer. He's the one that all who will now trust him and submit in him, he paved the way for all of us that are human, all of us that are rebels. He's the perfecter, meaning he was intending not to just kind of bring everything to a successful completion. He was going to bring every aspect. He is going to bring every aspect to a absolute successful completion. He was going to bring about God's intended goal in a very cool way. Like when you look at like Hebrews 10, 20, he inaugurates this new way for those now who trust him, that there is now going to be a path to the father. And this is what Jesus is seeing. But I don't even think it's just that because in verse one, it talks about this great cloud of witnesses then that are around But then he says to us all now, and I think this is what Jesus saw. And this is what I want you to get today. That because of the work of Jesus, we can now lay aside every weight and sin which so easily entangles us, that, that draws in and closes around us. That sin that's been around within humanity that's constantly caused death, that's caused destruction, that's caused mayhem in a very powerful way. When Jesus Christ was looking out upon what he did, he not only saw his grand victory, but his grand victory now was going to usher in what he talks about in Hebrews 2. These many sons and daughters of faith, these ones that would also come to know him, that would be freed from the shackles of sin, not only their own sin, but the way in which others have sinned against him and just the reality of living in a fallen world. King Jesus wasn't going to just do this to be honored, which he was, but he was going to be honored now by many sons and daughters who would now be brought into this group of people that would worship him. And then it says in there, in a powerful way, that then he sets us out for a race that's set before us and then it's this word, let us run. Now let me, let me bring this all to a close and then you're gonna be able to not throw these rocks at me. <laughs> I think he not only saw all of those particular things, 
But I think he saw also in that moment, because as God, he, as he searches and seeks and looks out over all things, he was going to see a group of people that were no longer hemmed in by sin, a group of people that now were not weighed down by the reality of this fallen world, that God the Father in his work in Jesus take and laid upon Jesus those things. And in that moment, it was gonna be a group of people that God had called to his son that were going to run. If you want to ask what it is that we as Christians do to bring honor and glory to King Jesus is we embrace this reality of no longer being these ones under sin and under Satan and under death. And if you're a follower of Jesus here tonight, we run. We run. We are designed by God to run the race that's set before us and not just any old way, but now it's talking about it in the same way that Jesus did this with endurance. We can. Now what that means is in this world that we live in, oftentimes it does, it feels so weighty and so hard. We wonder how we're gonna make it through. We've, we've done things to ourselves that has caused us to feel hemmed in. We've done things that have put that weight we feel upon us. The world has done this to us in many ways. This world in which we live in that the Bible talks about is headed by the prince of the power of the air. But even in this, this other way now, even the conflict that happens between humans, we wonder how can we run? But in that moment, as Jesus Christ was dying, he had joy because right now I am looking out over a group of people who were designed to run. We were designed to be free. We were designed to be the people that God intends us to be. And when Jesus said, it is finished, sin was nailed to the tree. Satan was absolutely delivered the death blow. And if you're in Christ Jesus today, regardless of your circumstances, Jesus bore the weight that we face so that you might run. You might be free. Now here's what I want you to do with these rocks. We're going we're gonna to do something. I'm, I'm a former youth pastor. I'm kind of cheesy, okay? But I like cheese. Cheese is good. I'm also a father, so I like cheese too. But here's what I want you to do right now, because I think we need to make this extremely practical so that we don't just talk about this idea of run or a race without really realizing that there is a way in which we have been freed. Now, what I want you to do is on that rock, you can do a symbol, you can write a particular word, you can do whatever you want. For mine, on my particular rock that I wrote down kind of in my time alone was just, I wrote down this word fear. I feel like lately I've been just experiencing just this reality of looking around at different things and I've just noticed fear, but here's the greatest news in the world. When Jesus Christ died, perfect love casts out what? Fear. He defeated it. Maybe it is, maybe not something that you've done. Maybe it's something that's been done to you. On that rock, you can write it down. You can put a symbol. I don't care what it is, but just to express this reality that you are free from that if you are in Christ Jesus. It could even be sin that you've done that you just found yourself trapped in. What I want you to do right now is I want you to write down again a word, a symbol, whatever you wanted to do over this next song. I'll come back after the song, but choose something that right now is keeping you from running. 
What is it in your life right now, depression, anxiety, uh, just the world that we live in that's fallen, uh, sin that you committed, whatever it might be, in a symbol or a word, I just want you to write that word down on that rock. And then I'm going to turn the band loose here just for a little bit. And we're going to sing just for a second as you write that down. Whatever you wrote on that rock, when Jesus was looking down, he understood that all sin of his people would be forgiven. I don't care what it is. I don't care right now if it's what you battle through is bitterness. I don't know if it, what it is that you're exactly going down in that particular path, but you don't need to bear it. We were not designed to bear it like that. But King Jesus, when the Father was pouring his wrath out on him, he bore our sin. You don't have to. We come and we confess our sin and we experience the wonderful release and freedom of knowing that Jesus paid it all. There's another side of it as well. If it's maybe something that's been done to you and you just can't get that off of you. Oh, you do not have to hold on to bitterness or anger towards somebody else. At this moment, to place it upon Jesus Christ who bore that reality in himself, to put it upon him because you are not being asked to bear that, to put it on him. If it's fear of this world and all the different things that are going on, I don't know what it is, but King Jesus was victorious. He came against all authorities and all powers. And now according to Matthew 28, 18, all authority on heaven and earth is found in him. There is nothing going on in our world in which he is not con absolute control over. And if that's what your thing is right now, you get to put it down. Now, here's the act that I'm gonna ask you to do. I would like you to come bring your rocks and you can put them up here. Don't throw them at me, bring them up here. And I'm just gonna stretch them out across this entire stage of what we're gonna do. So we're gonna sing a little bit more, but we can form lines and come down. But here's what I want you to do when you look at it, is to make sure that when you look at it, that that thing stays born by the king. And that what you do is you go from here tonight with an understanding that he bore it so that you might run. Whatever you feel hems you in, whatever you feel is down upon you, to bring it up and just let that weight of that rock not rest on you anymore, but we're just gonna put it right here. So I'm gonna have Billy play right now. And when you're ready, just kind of come up and we'll just put them across. And by the way, this is important for Sunday. So put these things up here and we're gonna come back to them on Sunday. So go ahead in the next few minutes. What's so cool is up here represents the joy of Jesus. Gosh, as he died and he looked, he didn't just die for it, he died for sin. He died that we might be free. Like this is a beautiful representation, just a tiny one, right? It's an itty bitty, teeny tiny little reality of what it is. But this, each of these stones just don't represent anything. They represent this, the joy of Jesus. And so I'm gonna finish this way with all of you. If you're somebody that came here tonight and you don't know King Jesus, we'd love to talk with you. Because if you haven't come to him by faith, if you haven't come to him and trusted him, if you haven't bent the knee to the king, that wrath that he bore on our behalf will be poured out on you. And I don't want that. I want you to encounter the king. You don't have to feel ostracized anymore. You don't have to feel out. 
You don't have to go through this world full of fear. Our king was victorious and he conquered all things. But I'm going to have all the rest of you stand up now. Here we go. I am so thankful that as soon as humanity chose to rebel against God, he was going to send the snake crusher. And over around 2,000 years ago, the snake crusher came to earth. And though the snake may have bit his heel, that same heel crushed Satan and crushed sin. And now all of us that are followers of Jesus, the Bible talks about, we have the Holy Spirit. We have been freed from sin. We have been made right with God. And now for all of you that are in here, that are followers of Jesus, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Holy Spirit, Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, may you run with endurance the race that is set before you. You are free. Children of God, run. God bless you, I will see you.